Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you are encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from Pastor Kevin Miller. All right. Well, um, if you brought a Bible, if you are tuning in, grab it. I'm also joined by a handful of my favorite people here today. We're filming uh, today from the social side, um, which is going to look a little bit less social when you come back, and that's okay. We'll at least be back, so that's, that's good news. But I'm joined by some of my favorite people here today, and um, just over these next couple weeks, I'm excited to hear what, what else God has to speak to us through the book of Acts. Today, though, we are in Acts chapter 11, so I always encourage you guys to follow along, and, and uh, if you can, even get a, a printed version of the Bible. Acts chapter 11 is going to show us kind of the, the next couple things that I believe God wants to speak to us through this, this scattered series. You know, I, and I know that we're, we're a very diverse church, very diverse crowd. I, I, that's one thing I love about our, our church. Um, but there's really, like if you think about it, there's really only two kinds of people in the world. There are people who need compartments for their food. And there are people who do not. Okay, there's really only, I, th- I think all humanity falls into one of these um, now, I tend to be the latter. I tend to be more of the person who doesn't really care too much if the food kind of like blends in a little bit. And I know some of the compartment people now are like totally grossed out by me. Uh, we can talk about that. Um, it's not that I like want all my food together. It's just like it doesn't bother me that much. You know, I'm the kind of guy that if I'm going to make a PBJ, I'll use the same knife for the PB and the J. Call it laziness if you want, but uh, that's just, that's just kind of like how it is. But then, like, if you get the compartment people, you know, the compartment people, th- they have to be very strategic with their eating. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just have syrup all over the place. It, it stays in the pancake section, you know? And, and if you have something savory, you can't just have salt flying all over the place. It, ha- it needs to stay in its little... Salt cage, you know what I mean? The little compartment that keeps the broccoli and the salt together. We got we to like keep it there. So the, the compartment people, uh, I was thinking about you guys today, uh, th- this week. You have to be kind of strategic with your eating, you know? You have to be, you, you have to be very careful with where the stuff goes. And, and speaking of salt, um, Jesus, it reminded me in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we are the salt of the earth, right? So I brought, of course, a salt shaker with me. We are the salt of the earth. And compartment people have to be a little strategic with, with their salt. Now, here's, here's the thing about salt. Salt is, uh, it, it helps to boost flavor. It's also kind of a preserving agent. So you can put it on food to help it last longer. Um, salt we use for a lot of different things. We use it for steak and eggs and whatever it is, broccoli, whatever it is that you put your salt on. I've met people who put it on their watermelon. Have you ever, have you met these people? No? Okay. Yeah. Okay. A few of you. Um, so, so, but, but here's the thing about salt. Salt is really only helpful when it, when it comes out of the shaker, right? So salt doesn't do a lot if it stays in the shaker. It can't preserve food. It can't boost flavor until it comes out of the shaker. So here's what's interesting right now. Um, the awakened salt shaker is empty, right? Our building. If we're the salt, the salt has been scattered, right? 
You guys mesmerized by this? This represents awakened people being scattered all over Clarksville, all around wherever it is. The salt shaker of awakened church right now is, hold on. Good night. How much is in there? Hold on. It's almost. We'll call that empty. All right. The awakened salt shaker is empty. If you come onto the campus right now, you're going to notice that the buildings, the, the salt shaker doesn't have a lot of salt left in it. There's, there's a handful of us salty people in here right now. Um, and that's about it. The, the rest of the church has been scattered. So I was thinking about you compartment people this week, and I was thinking about salt being scattered and realizing that compartment people need some strategy for the scattering. And so today, that's exactly what I want to share in a message, uh, part three of the Scattered series. I'm calling this message, if you're taking notes, Strategy for the Scattering. And excuse me while I will clean that up later. Okay, there we go. So, strategy for the scattering is, is really what I want to talk to you about today. Because what, what we have to understand is that as the salt of the earth, God's original plan was not for us to stay huddled up in the shaker, right? The shaker has value. Let me put it in our modern day terms. The building, the church building has great value. In fact, I, I was kind of thinking as we're, we're still praying and, and, and planning here in 2020 to do renovation and build out here in, in the shopping center, I was wondering when we went all and we left the building, I wondered, is this going to diminish the value of the building in our eyes? And I don't know about you, but in my eyes, it's only increased the value of having a building, a gathering space. As nice as it is to be comfortable in PJs and with a coffee mug watching church online, it'll never, it'll never substitute for being with God's people in person. It's so valuable for us to have people in our lives. And so, you know, there's value, there's great value in the salt being in the shaker, but the time comes for the salt to be scattered. And so I want to talk to you today a little bit about four strategies that I, I believe we can learn from the early church in Acts chapter 11 as, as they were scattered. Because you may know this so far if you've been tuning in for this series, but scattering was not just an accident or a terrible event that happened to the original church or even to us. Scattering was actually part of the mission. Jesus originally stated in Acts 1.8, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so scattering was always part of Jesus's plan for the church. And so since that's the case, it's really important then that we have strategy for that scattering. And that's what I want to share to you, with you today from Acts 11. So four things, but we're going to read Acts 11 verse 19 through 24 first, and then we'll start unpacking this together. Acts 11, got all my salt up here. Acts 11, verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one 
except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. These would have been Gentiles. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. I see four things in this text, in this story, in Acts chapter 11, as the church is scattered, that I want to share for us that I believe are strategic steps that we, if we will apply these things, it will make our time apart as valuable as possible, whether we're scattered for weeks or we're scattered midweek between Sundays. Four steps of strategy. Number one, strategy number one, share Jesus. Real simple. Each of these strategic steps are going to be two words. This first one is share Jesus. Now, I want to highlight this in verse 20. So strategy number one, share Jesus. I want to highlight that in in verse 20, it says that they went to Antioch and they were preaching the Lord Jesus. That, That was the content of their sermon, right? They were preaching the Lord Jesus. They were not preaching Old Testament laws and rituals, tithing, church attendance, a list of do's and don'ts. They kept the message very simple. And I think this is an important reminder for all of us that the starting line in Christianity is always Jesus. I think this is so important for us to understand because it's so easy for us to forget that our job is not to force change on people. It's just to share Jesus with people to love people, to speak truth, to give the gospel. And as we do that, then God does his job of changing people's lives, right? And and, and so it's important that we understand that because we get in trouble when we flip the two. We get in trouble when we share Jesus and then think it's up to us to change people's lives. I think we could just collectively breathe a sigh of relief and say, God is a lot better at changing lives than I'll ever be. And I'm just going to let him do the life changing, right? I'm going to let him be the one that does that. The starting line is always Jesus. So we, we start by, by just sharing Jesus. Now, this is a strategic step no matter what we're doing, where we go, who we're with, where we are. Our number one strategy, Christians, if you are a follower of Jesus, listen, your number one strategy is, I'm going to take Jesus with me wherever I go. In my classroom, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my house. If the governor says I can't leave my house, then I'm going to be Jesus to the people all around me. As much as possible, God help me, right? And then when I go into my neighborhood and my workplace and wherever I go, I, I want to I do this. I want to share Jesus. Now, the, the next question that comes to my mind is not only what was their message, but who are these guys that were preaching Jesus? Like when I read this, I just kind of wonder what it, who these guys were. And if they're going around preaching the Lord Jesus, then maybe you're thinking that these must have been like seminary trained, eloquent preachers of God's word. So let's find out who these guys are. Verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, 
who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. We don't even know their names. The Bible doesn't even say who they were. As far as we know, these were not seminary-trained, eloquent preachers of the day. I imagine if they were well-known people, the Bible would have listed who they, who they were. And so the fact that we don't know their names tells me that these were regular men of faith who did just that. They took this strategic step. We're scattered, but we're taking Jesus with us. I'm just going to share Jesus wherever we go. I think these are the unnamed heroes of the Bible that didn't wait around to be discovered or, uh, you know, have a million views on YouTube or, you know, be famous for delivering God's word. That's not it at all. They just were like, hey, I don't care if anybody knows my name as long as everybody knows the name of Jesus. And that's really what, uh, what our goal should be as followers of Jesus. And, you know, if there's ever a message that our world needs, it's this message right here, verse 20, the love of the Lord Jesus. If our world ever needed that message, it was right now that Jesus came and he became one of us to save us from our own sin that we could never repay. And in case you're wondering what God thinks of this simple ministry, like, well, what about the lights and the, the, you know, the haze machine and the, the beautiful worship music? And what, where, where's all of that? Well, let's just boil it back down. Verse 21, it says, the hand of the Lord was with these men. And a great number who believe turn to the Lord. God blesses this humble, Jesus-exalting ministry. Strategy number one, share Jesus. Now, if you've been following, you might be aware that the Gentiles who were non-Jews, basically, I told you in our day, there's two people. There's the compartment people and the non-compartment eating people. In the Bible days, there were two people. There were the Jews and the non-Jews, the Gentiles. The Jews believed that they were the only ones that got the gospel. And so it was a big deal for them to break out of their racial line and give the gospel to somebody else. Man, here's another message that our world needs to hear, that the gospel is for everybody, every language, every nation, every tongue, every skin color. Jesus loves them all, died for them all, right? And, and so the Gentiles receiving Jesus made big waves. In fact, this is really big news that made it all the way back down the coast, 300 miles to Jerusalem, where church headquarters were uh, back in, in Acts. And so Barnabas, one of the church leaders, hears about the Gentiles receiving Christ, and he makes the journey up the coast to Antioch to figure out what's going on. And I love what he saw, because what he saw in this very humble place of ministry is exactly what we want people to see in us, individually, and also our church. Look at verse 23. It says, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. I love this. Here's strategy number two. Demonstrate grace. So strategy number one was share Jesus. Number two, demonstrate grace. Now, if you read this like I read this, immediately you're wondering, how did he show up to this place and see God's grace? How can you see something that's invisible? How can you 
How can you witness something? How can you, you know, here we are talking about demonstrating grace, but how do we demonstrate something that's invisible? I don't know about you guys, but I've sat through plenty of demos in my adult life. Cooking demos, knife demos, gun demos, uh, timeshare demos. You know, there's all kinds of demonstrations you can sit through, but think about every demo you've ever sat through is something tangible that's being demonstrated so that you can buy it at the end. That's kind of the point. It's something that I could touch and see and and put my hands on. So how do we demonstrate something like the grace of God that is invisible? It's not tangible. Well, I want you to know that the grace of God, although it's not tangible, it is something that we can experience. In fact, it's talked about all throughout the New Testament. Paul um, kind of dispersed or gave out the grace of God everywhere he went and in every letter he wrote. Every letter that Paul wrote, it'll start with something like grace to you and peace. He was always talking about the grace of God. But all throughout the New Testament, there are different instances of this. I think of the book of Titus chapter 2, where it says that the grace of God has appeared to save us. Or Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about obtaining the grace of God. Or 1 Peter chapter 5, where it talks about standing firm in the grace of God. So although it's intangible and invisible, the grace of God is actually something that can be experienced. And I believe Barnabas is a good example of the fact that when you experience the grace of God, you'll know it even if you can't describe it. And this is what we want people to see and feel and experience in our lives and here in our church. We want people to to interact with us and say, I may not exactly have the right wording for this, but man, I just felt God when I interacted with that person. When I was around those people, I just felt the presence of God. That is demonstrating grace. Wherever we go, this is a strategic part of the church being scattered all over the place, wherever we go. Again, if being scattered looks like the season that we're in for weeks or months being apart, or if it's just between Sundays, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when we're scattered, not only do we share Jesus, but we want to demonstrate grace. We're praying this. I hope you'll pray this for your life and for Awakened Church. That when, when we go anywhere, when God takes us out, when we are deployed and scattered, That people encounter the intangible, invisible, experiential grace of God through our lives, just like Barnabas did when he showed up here. Why? It's not because of us. It's because of who is in us, right? And it's him who gives us this grace. So strategy number one, share Jesus. Strategy number two, demonstrate grace. Strategy number three. Remain faithful. Real simple. Remain faithful. So we share Jesus. We demonstrate grace. And then we just do this one thing that Barnabas showed up and told the church to do. Verse 23, it says that he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but if there is Any message I needed to hear right now, it is this. Stay faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Don't give up. Just keep 
loving Jesus. That's the message that Barnabas showed up to this new, newly established Gentile church in the city of Antioch. And he, he, he could have given them lists of things to do, right? But he just gave them a very simple message. We need this message right now. In fact, I love how the Passion Translation words this verse. It says he told them to remain faithful and cling to the Lord with passionate hearts. I love that. You know, when when we were locked down in our houses in quarantine, there were endless lists of things that people were putting out on the internet and social media for us to do, you know? Lists of things and top 10 and, you know, how-to and blogs and YouTube tutorials and all of this stuff. You know, I, I read one that was like 100 plus fun things to do while in quarantine. And I was like, I don't even have time to read a hundred things that I can do in quarantine. You know, 10 top 10 ways to stay fit during quarantine. You got the quarantine 15 that we were all worried about putting on, you know, just eating Oreos all day in depression. When can I be out with my friends again? Um, you know, I, I, I read one that was something about like uh, 12 mom hacks. You know, it was like, I, I think it was something about like how to make sure that moms and children survive quarantine, you know, hold up in the same house together. And everywhere you look, there were just these lists of things that, like, if you'll just do these 27 things, then you'll make it out of quarantine just fine. Or, or here's a hundred ideas. And we just like, it was overwhelming and overcomplicating. And it made me not even want to look at any of it and just try to figure it out on my own, you know? But I, I think this really is kind of like human tendency. We all have this tendency to take something that's super simple and way overcomplicated. And church, we do this all the time with the gospel. We do this all the time by putting parameters on faith and Christianity that are man-made parameters that I think often our intentions are good, but we just like bog people down and overcomplicate the system. And so I'm so thankful that Barnabas showed up and his message didn't even have four points or three points or even two points. He goes, guys, I'm preaching a message today called Remain Faithful. (laughs) And it has one point. If you're taking notes, here's my message. Remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. And he just like, he just walked out. And, and, and this, I love this because it's so simple. Barnabas didn't give a list. I mean, he could have. Make sure you read your Bible. Make sure you're going to church. Make sure, make sure, make sure. He could have given you the top 10 list of how to, whatever. But he just said, no, listen, this is amazing. Obviously, God's grace is on you. Remain faithful to the Lord Jesus with steadfast purpose. I'm praying for you. We're with you. God bless you. I'm heading back to Jerusalem. That that was his message. And I I love the simplicity of the message. Because what I'm, I'm not trying to say that Christianity isn't a lot of other things. I'm certainly not talking down about reading your Bible, attending church, gathering together, giving and all of the other different ways that we interact with God and interact with God's people. And Christianity certainly does come with its fair share of challenges and and trials and sacrifice and pain. But listen, let me make this really clear. Christianity in its most basic form is this. Jesus loves you 
just keep loving him back. Right? Like, I mean, if we really boil it down, that's Christianity. Christianity is Jesus loves you. Now just return the favor. Love him right back. And for the rest of your life, learn how to love Jesus a little bit more every day. And guess what? When you breathe your last here on earth, if you love Jesus, the day, the day comes when you breathe your last on earth and you breathe your first next breath in the presence of Jesus. And now you have all of the rest of eternity to just keep loving Jesus because he loved you. I mean, think about it. That, I, that may sound like an overly simplified version of Christianity, but didn't Jesus say something pretty similar? Somebody tried to trap him in, in, with, with all these questions, and they said, what's the most important commandment? You remember what Jesus said. Well, here it is. There's really only one. Here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he goes, and there's another one. Love your neighbor as yourself. But really, if you love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're going to naturally love the people and the things that God loves. You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. There's really one thing, Jesus said. If you just do this one thing, if you love God, all the other stuff is going to eventually start falling into place. And so I'm just so thankful for Barnabas and, and his simplistic message to the church. Jesus loves you. Let's just learn to love him back. And however that looks like, whatever that looks like in our daily lives, in our work routine, with our families, with our friends, in our relationships, let Jesus and your love for Jesus be the filter that all of those other decisions and relationships are filtered through. Now, you might note or you, you, might, you might expect that a, a ministry that is obviously has God's, God's hand on it, the grace of God is evident, and Barnabas is there to, to remind them of the simplicity of the message, you might expect it for it to, to do exactly what it did. Ministry began to boom. So many more people are starting to come to Christ, Jew and Gentile. And so because of that, Barnabas decides it's time for him to go for help. He needs some help shouldering the weight of ministry. Look at verse 25. It says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now you might remember Saul uh, earlier on from the pages of Acts, or if you've been with us in the Scattered series. Saul was originally in Acts chapter 7, the first time we met him, at the feet or at the, the almost lifeless body of a man named Stephen who was being stoned to death. And those who were killing him, executing him, laid their, their, their jackets, their coats at the feet of Saul. Saul shortly thereafter began ravaging the church. But in Acts chapter 9, Jesus showed up and changed his life. And by this point in Acts chapter 11, Saul has gone back to where he's from, Tarsus, and he's just growing in his faith. He's learning what it's like to, to follow Jesus. And Barnabas knows that. And he goes out of his way and it says he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Verse 26, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church. And somebody probably has that underlined like they're jealous of that. Okay, we're, we're close to that. They met together with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is a special part of our, our faith history right here. This is strategy number four. We've, we've already covered share Jesus, demonstrate grace, remain faithful. Number four, strategy number four, invite 
others. Bring others along for the journey. Now think about this for a moment. Barnabas was obviously a leader in the church. He was the guy that when the Christians in Jerusalem heard about the Gentiles receiving Christ, they sent Barnabas. He was obviously trustworthy. He was a great leader. He was skilled in ministry. He was gifted. But he was also humble enough to know that he couldn't do the ministry alone by himself. He was humble enough, he was wise enough to know he needed to involve somebody else. And so verse 25 says that he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. In the original language, this this verb actually describes, like a more literal translation might be, he went to Tarsus to hunt him up. To to really, like it took work is what what the author was trying to say. It took work for him to find Saul. This is a strenuous time-intensive hunt that Barnabas went on to find Saul. In fact, Tarsus, from Antioch to get to Tarsus, was about a 150-mile trek. And we remind you, you couldn't just like get an Uber for that back in Barnabas' day. He had a walk. Imagine walking 150 miles. To put in perspective, that's like if you left today and started walking from Clarksville to Chattanooga. One way. And then once he found Saul of Tarsus in Chattanooga, for some reason, he brought him back to Clarksville, 150 miles. So we're talking minimum of two weeks, probably more like three to four or more, depending on whatever Saul had to put in place for him to leave and go start this new life and this new ministry. So this is a strenuous and very time-intensive pursuit, but Barnabas knew that it, that, that it was worth that. He put ministry on pause for at least weeks, maybe longer, so that he could involve Saul. This is a great reminder to us that it takes work to involve other people in ministry. This is especially important for those who are awakened staff, maybe pastors who are listening, leadership in any way, parents, or future leaders, people who will influence others. Listen, it's, it's very important for you to understand that involving people and training others just is strenuous hard work. In fact, our temptation will always be, I'm tempted to do the same thing, the temptation will always be, well, I already know how to do it, I'll just do it. Not only is that selfish, but it's a bit prideful. And you know what's sad about it is that it robs other people of putting to use their God-given gift. Think about if Barnabas would have said that. Ah, it's going to take so long for me to get to Tarsus, and I don't exactly know where Saul is, and that'll be a month or so, and ministry's already booming, and God's kind of using me pretty awesome out here. And imagine if all of that would have gone through his mind. Saul could have potentially missed out on this. And man, if Saul would have missed out on this, keep reading in the book of Acts and start to see what else Saul would have missed out on. Future missionary journeys. Listen, you never know. When you go out of your way to bring somebody along and involve them in ministry, you have no idea not only how you are are enabling more ministry and multiplying your capacity, but you have no idea how you're setting them up for future ministry as well. So Barnabas went out of his way. He included Saul. And although it's tempting to do alone, 
I think we need to learn to follow Barnabas's lead here and understand that the work, listen very closely, the work that God began in you did not stop with you. God reached you so that he could use you to reach somebody else in your life, right? Like heaven didn't come to a screeching halt when you got saved. So why should our lives stop as though, well, now that I'm saved, I'm good. No, you, uh, we say this all the time. You weren't, you weren't saved to sit. You were saved to serve and be sent. And that's what Barnabas understood. That's what Saul was starting to understand. Heaven didn't stop when you got saved. We're not going to stop either. In fact, the work really just continues on. Now, what God started in your life, he wants to continue through your life. Now, let me just say a quick word about Antioch. And then I'm going to give you two things that I'd like to ask you to pray along with us. Um, Antioch, I want you to think about this for a moment. Antioch was not like a, a vacation destination. These people who were in Antioch, they didn't end up there because they necessarily chose to go there. But the persecution that was happening in the church at the time scattered them there. So you might, you might call this an accidental mission trip. We talked last week about that they were kind of like accidental missionaries who just like, they didn't sign up for a mission trip, but it just kind of like happened that they found themselves on a mission trip and they took Jesus with them. And you, you, can, you can spread out the church, but you can't silence the church. And so they took Jesus. And so they ended up in Antioch, even though they weren't planning on it. And yet their, their presence brought with them the presence of the gospel. And that became a pivotal city, Antioch did, for the future of the church. In fact, we, we read in verse 26 that this was the first place that they were called Christians, but we're going to learn next week even more so that this actually turned into, watch this, because Barnabas involved Saul, this turned into the hub of Saul's future missionary journeys that came out of the city of Antioch. Saul ended up there because Barnabas went there because these unnamed men who preached the Lord Jesus went there and and they just shared Jesus and they demonstrated grace. And because of that simplicity and they just remained faithful, Saul got there and eventually that became headquarters for his missions organization that sent the gospel global. And all of that could have been missed had the scattering not taken place. And Barnabas had not gone to get Saul. So obviously God was against the persecution of his people, but he was also using the persecution of his people to scatter the seed of the gospel into a future pivotal location that he would use. So here's what I want you to pray. I want to give you two things. And I asked the Awakened staff to to start praying this with me this last week. And I'm going to ask you to do the same over these coming weeks. Two questions I want you to ask God in prayer. Question number one, what is my Antioch? Question number two, who is my Saul? I'll explain these here in a moment, but write that down. Prayer number one, what is my Antioch? Prayer number two, who is my Saul? Here's what I mean by this. What is my Antioch? Think about it. Had the scattering of the Christians not taken place, 
They may not have ended up in Antioch for years or decades later with the gospel. God got the gospel there through something that they never planned or never, and, and never wanted. We're in a season right now of scattering. And I'm going to ask you to pray, God, what are the things in my life that are like Antioch? Where are you taking me? What are you trying to do in my life that you couldn't have done or would have been much harder without the period of scattering that you've taken us through? What is my Antioch? I want you to ask yourself that. Where, God, where do you want me that will be pivotal for the future of what you want to do in me and through me? Pray that not only for yourself, but also for us as a church. There's going to be some things that are, are, are normal when you come back, when we come back together, but there's going to be a lot of new things as well. We're believing that our time apart has taught us a lot of things that are preparing us for pivotal, exciting things ahead that maybe God couldn't have done had it not been for our time apart. Second thing is, who is my soul? here's what I mean by this. Who do I know? Ask God this in prayer. Who do I know that is uniquely called and gifted for a new season or facet of ministry that lies ahead that I need to do some work to go out of my way and invite them in to the work of God? I imagine we can all think of somebody and it may not be like, like Saul, like you're thinking of, like an obviously naturally gifted person. But you know somebody who's kind of sat on the sidelines for a little while. I'm just telling you, church, it's time for us to call out the gifting in that person's life and invite them into the work of God. And maybe for a moment, I could be Barnabas and somebody watching, you're Saul. You've been learning and growing, but it's time for you to come out And get on the team. It's time to no longer sit on the sidelines. But I'm here to tell you that God has uniquely called and gifted you for a future season or facet of ministry that you never have even thought about maybe until this moment. Allow me to be Barnabas in your life for a moment and say God has something special for you. It's time to get up and get to work because the future is bright and and the Holy Spirit is with you. God's called all of us. And and I wonder if we took some time, some days and weeks in prayer and just asked God, God, who is my Saul? Who God might lay on your life? And then would we be like Barnabas and put the work in to call that out of them and invite them into what God is doing? So Antioch, as we talked about today and we'll talk about um, in part four next week, was a special piece of our Christian faith. It's the place where we read in verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians. It's kind of special, you know, but what's interesting about that is we, we, you know, many of us, those of us who are followers of Christ, we, the term Christian has a lot of deep meaning to us. It, it, it's, it's a, it's a special title, a special word for us, but I want you to know that it didn't begin as a good thing in Antioch. It began actually as a derogatory term. It was most likely what what many people believe uh, a a term given by the government to just differentiate between the Jews and this other like sect of these new believers. Those were like the Jesus people over there, the Christ 
people. We'll just call them Christians. This was a derogatory term that they used for the early church. And what's interesting is that what began as derogatory became accepted as their identity. They're like, you know what? We are the Jesus people. I'll take that title. You might have meant it to bash me or to segregate me or what you know what that's exactly what i am i'm a jesus person and they accepted that as their identity and i just want to speak to somebody today who maybe for a while in your life you've kind of purposely steered clear of religion and christianity in fact maybe the term christian was kind of a slur like it like it was originally for you it was just like i don't really want to have anything to do with that. Can I just say, first of all, can I apologize on behalf of Jesus and any any other Christian that's trying to represent him well? Can I just apologize for anybody who negated the word Christian in your mind? And can I encourage you to not allow somebody who did not represent Christ well to not ruin the experience for you? Just because they didn't represent Jesus well doesn't mean all Christians are like that. And it certainly doesn't mean Jesus is like that. So hear it from me when I say no matter what you think of Christianity, even if you think of it as a negative thing, hear it from me when I say that when we boil Christianity down, it really is so simple. Jesus loves you. And it's all about just loving him back and letting him love people through you. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. All of that stuff will come. You'll, you'll eventually have a desire to obey and to, to repent from things and turn from sin and all of that stuff. But as you just learn to love Jesus, turning from your sin and you're following Jesus in this whole new way of life, I'm telling you, you'll see clearer. You'll breathe better. You'll have hope renewed. Sin forgiven. Failure wiped out. I want you to know that Acts 11 is a good reminder for us that the gospel is for everybody. Jew and Gentile, wherever you fall on that, Jewish or non-Jewish, everybody is a recipient of the gospel. Jesus came for every person, no matter what you look like, no matter what you sound like. Jesus came and he loves you. And today is your chance I'm inviting you in. Allow me to be Barnabas for a a moment and invite you in to the work that God is doing in us and through us. So I want to pray for us. And in a moment, as I pray, I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Christ if you've never done that before. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray those things with me. What is my Antioch and who is my Saul? But if you don't know Jesus, this is your invitation to put your faith in Christ today. Would you pray with me? Come on, let's bow our heads. Close our eyes wherever you're watching. Jesus, today we just recognize that we need you. That if it weren't for you, there would be no hope. And so Lord, we just ask that you would meet us right here, wherever we are. Those of us here in the room with me and the many hundreds, thousands of others who are tuning in from living rooms and gyms and downrange deployment and all of that. God, we just are so thankful that you're right there with us. You meet us in all of those places. So God, I pray for every Christian who's tuning in right now. 
that you would begin to speak to them on those topics we're asking you. What is my Antioch? What's the thing you want to speak to me or the place you want to take me that you couldn't have without being scattered? And who's my Saul? God, would you lay people on our hearts that we could invite into the ministry? But Lord, I also pray for anybody right now that does not know you. Maybe they've heard me do this every week and they've wondered if maybe they need to do that. And God, I just, I pray that today I was able to just boil Christianity down to something so simple. It's about Jesus, you love us, and we want to do our best to just love you back. And so Lord, I pray that your love, your kindness would lead them to repentance. And that today, wherever they're hearing this message, they would decide to turn from their sin and follow Jesus. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, just you and Jesus. If that's you and you need to pray that prayer with me to surrender your life to Christ, I just want to give you a few words to say. You can say this wherever you are. God's with you. He hears you. He knows what's on your heart. Say this, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to follow you. Thank you for loving me. Today I say I love you back. Thank you for dying in my place and beating my sin. I turn my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're so excited if you made that decision today. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.